0: Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation.
1: Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two, Maxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxis tires deliver. Choose Maxis, tread victoriously.
0: Why should you read Forlow Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle—the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech—all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. All right, on today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have none other than Richard Jenkins. Anybody that's in the Four Corners area, all the way I'd say from Moab to Farmington to Las Cruces, Arizona, Southwestern Colorado, you're going to know Richard Jenkins if you wheel. He is uh, an integral part of the wheeling community here and has been since he was just a child. And he grew up with some of the iconic people of uh, of our history that are no longer with us. And we're going to talk not only Richard's history, but we're going to talk about some of those icons that he grew up with or grew up around. So Richard, first of all, I'd like to thank you for all the hard work that you have done to get We Rock and our rock crawling series back into Farmington over the last few years and the friendship and the writing you have done for our magazine and all that. You've you know, you're you're just a stand-up guy and we really appreciate it. So thank you for coming on board.
1: Well, it's it's definitely a pleasure to be part of this. And I gotta say it's it's very flattering to actually be part of the podcast as well. It's like the last piece of the We Rock Forlow magazine and you know the podcast with you is it's it's just really flattering to be part of that.
0: Well, thank you. So let's let's get started right at the beginning. Where were you
1: born and where did you grow up? So I was born in Plano, Texas at Plano General High School, or uh, sorry. At the high I school? Was in... Wait a second. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. I was born in uh, Plano, Texas. That's that's a
0: different type of home ec class. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I digress. At, let's go. Okay.
1: Yeah. At the Plano General Hospital, and, and that hospital doesn't exist anymore. In fact, uh my oldest daughter, the the hospital she was born in doesn't exist anymore, as interesting as that is. But uh, we moved to Farmington, New Mexico in 1982, and uh, I was pretty much just born into the back of an international scout, too, so to speak. I was just always running in the back of a scout. They had a crib in the back of the scout, and so when we'd be out four-wheeling, I'd be trying to— st- stop myself from falling asleep. I'd fall over and get right back up and try to see everything we were doing. And, but still it's back in the day when, when the seatbelt laws, there weren't seatbelt laws and stuff like that. But, uh, it, you know, it, it just shows, you know, how far back it goes and everything for me. Right. Let's
0: reference that time period. If you don't mind, how old are you now? Not at all. So
1: I'm 40 years old.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll do the math. So let's talk about more about that early time, um, your, your parents, um, some of the people that they hung out with, um, you know, like Harold off and, and all the, and the others let's, let's, let's dive into that a little bit and then we'll get back into your history.
1: Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, when, when I was a kid, so it, it was 1982 when we moved to Farmington and in 1983, we had been four wheel driving with Jim Peterson and uh, a few other people like Leroy Riley and Bobby Harrison, Harold Fawz, uh, Don Sisson, and uh, that's Garrett and Matt Sisson's dad. They okay. used to compete in UROC and ARCA. They were the they were the Skyjacker uh, yep. competitors. Absolutely. And uh, we so we used to four wheel drive with them. Harold Off came came around a little bit. He was around, but uh, came around wheeling with all of us a little bit later, I think. Um, But in 1983, Jim Peterson uh, pulled my parents into the club because dad was really good at doing all kinds of different land use stuff. In fact, uh, it was through the 80s and 90s that dad was a delegate for United Four-Wheel Drive Association and doing some of the lobbying and stuff in Washington, D.C., just to... Make sure that the Department of Interior still recognized and wouldn't do anything with our ability to four wheel drive in the public lands
0: right and that was and that was specifically in this area or was he working nationwide keeping trying to keep public he lands?
1: he was working nationwide okay. um early on uh when four wheel drive and sport utility started to he wrote for them and worked with mark workmeister and and uh, Harold Ogden and and different people like that. And so we would all end up four-wheeling together. In fact, when Southwest Four-Wheel Drive Association started, the first annual meeting was basically held at my parents' house. Everybody registered and came in, and and we had a big meeting. And then the rest of it was held in Chokecherry Canyon. We were basically representing for the first time to people that, we had this really great area that people had been building four-wheel drive trails in, uh, the San Juan four-wheelers, since the late 60s. And that's around the time, late 60s is around the time that Harold Off changed the name of San Juan Auto and Truck Dismantlers to Off Again. And since 1948, uh, Off Again, or the Auto and Truck Dismantlers, were... Uh, working on Jeep vehicles and four-wheel drive vehicles. But then when you were building a vehicle like that, you weren't you weren't necessarily building it to drive on the trail to go out and do what we do now for fun. You were building these rigs so that they could get to uh well sites and and at that time the basin was just kicking off to the San Juan basin. So uh a lot of like your Willie's Jeeps and stuff, they would get drilling implements added to them and you know different other pto devices and and we were having to to build a lot of the stuff i should say harold and uh charlie off were having to build a lot of the stuff that was going on all of these four-wheel drive vehicles just so that they could get to where they needed to and get the pad done and and put together the well site okay interesting <clears throat> it, it was a lot different you didn't have these lease roads that were maintained back then
0: right it was more it was really wildcatting
1: yeah yeah it was very cross-country uh, you you had a plot and you you had to figure out how to get there through uh, a section that was considered a right of access okay okay so later later on though um, as as the club grew um, it it really turned into one of the hot spots, or I should say Farmington turned into one of the hot hotspots. Um, it was the early nineties when we were breaking waterfall trail and intimidator. And, uh, and then later on uh, about five, five or so years after we were really breaking those trails that the gladiator trail came in. And at the time, they were growing into being some of the most iconic trails, uh, you know, in in the country. I mean, they weren't the top trails necessarily, but they were within like the top three. You would, when we launched, hardcore trails, yeah, yeah, really hardcore trails. And and remember, back then, you, you didn't really have much more than a thirty three inch tire. If you had a thirty five when it when they came out, that was just nuts. Right. But uh, when we broke intimidator trail i want to say that was probably 94 95 somewhere in there and uh we had six jeeps and it took eight hours to go one mile and that trail is still one mile and it does it is not it it, it's not much faster now if you have a 4600 car or a 4400 car um i think kyle roach ran it in seven minutes (laughs) and we had somebody in a a 4600 car run it in something like 12 minutes so there wasn't much difference you really have to slow down uh if you overdrive you'll end up driving off a cliff and we we really did on intimidator we uh when i moved back here in 2005 the week after i moved back we had two fatalities on the intimidator trail where somebody was they just Dipped down, must have stepped on their brakes too hard or something, and the Jeep started rolling downhill, and it went off a cliff. Wow. So, it was, you know, that was, that was a really, really rough time for some of the people that were here. Um, we have a competitor that was out this weekend, Isaac Overwright. Uh, it was his dad's best friend that uh, went off with another passenger in the vehicle. And Mike is barely getting back into four-wheeling today. Oh wow. Okay.
0: Yeah, and just to so, reference it when he says this weekend it was the We Rock Grand National Championship here in Farmington at Choke in Chokecherry Canyon at uh, Brown Springs. So yep, for two thousand twenty one. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. Twenty twenty one. So let's uh let's talk about some of those trails that are out here real quick.
1: So in Chokecherry Canyon, uh, we have 21,000 acres of, um, recreation area, 3,800 of those acres are completely open. Meaning if you see a crack or a climb, you can, you can drive it. Now the club will, anybody in the club will yell at you if you're running over trees or going cross country or something. Even though it's an open area. Right. 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 And You know, we're we're really these days and in a lot of open areas around the country, we are getting tired of which side of the tree do you want to drive around? You know, if there's a main path, take the main path. If there's not an obstacle, there's no reason to drive any which way around a tree. Right. Right. So um, or a rock in the road.
0: (laughs) I mean, you're out there rock crawling in a four wheel drive and there'll be you'll see. All of a sudden, the trail is twenty feet wide, and there's a rock sitting right in the middle of it that everybody is driving around, either left or right. And Mo,
1: yeah, and Moab is a very good example of that. But uh, here, um, what we've done is put together uh, a mapping system, and it started with Carsonites pretty much everywhere, and the BLM's always worked with us really well. Uh, we did have a few years that uh, I know you you felt where we had a, a regime that they weren't the best fit regime for recreation, in my opinion. Correct. Um, and we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. But the trail system, we had a, a lot of markings, but it was really hard to get people around. And for a while, I, it, I think it was on purpose. The club didn't want people just running out there. They wanted to guide people in the canyon because uh, early on we would have people get lost out there. And we were the first call for search and rescue. Uh, which would be the sheriff's office, really, calling the cliffhangers to go out. And we we would go out at night sometimes as I, when I was a kid and uh, we'd be out there two, three, four o'clock in the morning. And we'd have, you know, three Jeeps going one direction, uh, a couple scouts and Broncos or whatever going a def- different direction. And and you've got, you know, a few other guys going uh, running point on the CB. From the wash, and uh, sometimes we didn't find them in time and stuff like that. And I'm not saying they didn't that they passed away. We just didn't find them before they walked all the way somewhere, like to La Plata Highway or or found Light Plant Road or something like that.
0: Right. And when you said carsonite steak, just for those East Coasters that do not know what a carcinite steak is, it's what the Forest Service and B- and Bureau of Land Management use for. Trail marking, you know, whether the trails open, closed, that kind of thing. And it's a kind of a paddle marker. Okay, go ahead. Sorry.
1: The canyon, so we call it the Glade Run Recreation Area or Chokecherry Canyon. Um, the, we have 16 main trails from the 90s that have stuck. And what's surprising is what we were doing with the vehicles back then is still – pretty difficult to vehicles today. Like for instance, last night we had two of the competitors on the run I took them on um roll over and and we did recoveries last night. We had to do an end over end recovery last night with two winches.
0: That was and, uh, that was Bill, wasn't it?
1: Well no Bill oh. actually uh he rolled down it was an interesting one. Bill rolled uh he was down in a canyon he went over backwards and they kind of just pulled him up against a rock to where he could just start the truck and back it up, okay, but good. Chad and Megan went over backwards on the gladiator waterfall. Oh, wow. And then we pulled him back over. He pulled up to it, just got a little bit of a different line, sucked his tires into the top, and uh, it it pulled him right up. and so so if if you don't know the gladiator waterfall, a lot of people have seen it on TV. It stands your rig straight up and down, and it's literally 90 degrees up and down. And your tires, you just kind of wiggle your tires between the slot at the top, and it, it pinches them in. And once they're pinched in, you've made it. There's a big undercut at the bottom, but the front tires just suck you up. Okay. And it's it's definitely one climb that a lot of people, they want to come here, and they've got their hit list for Farmington, and it's one that's on the list usually. Okay. And, so, and now you have uh, some
0: kind of a mapping system or something that, that you're using that, that is uh, UPC code?
1: Yeah. So we, Glenn Donald, he took uh, a bunch of information that Phil Collard and myself put together. Um, Phil Collard and I multiple times through different RMPs, um would run through the canyon and do the marking or we would do the mapping and and what we were doing when we were doing the mapping is we were grabbing at first one of the gps devices from the blm they were some of the first people to have them but those things were horrible you would you would map your trail and you might be on the trail and it would show the trail like 50 feet away from you (laughs) and you knew you weren't going to be driving there because it's off a 300 foot cliff (laughs) so uh we glenn took all of that information he compiled it went out and added more to it and then added a bunch of obstacle names and put it together in a mapping system uh matt anthony myself and glenn and a few other people put together some ratings and we took the rating system and based it half on like moab's rating system and half on sand hollows rating system and now we've got basically a 1 to 10 and 1 to 10 plus um out here there there's definitely some trails that have never been finished uh like for instance kicked up dust it's a new trail that uh robert one of uh the guys we want to get into the club because he's just such a great guy um He put together this this full trail and it's it is for rear steer. In fact, the Johnson Valley Crawlers were here uh, with Dana and Robert and James from Treadworks and uh, they just threw the kitchen sink at the guys. So now they're going to plan a week here every year. But anyways, there's a bonus line that Lauren Healy was asking James if if anybody made the bonus line, because some of the craziest uh, trail wheelers were here this this week. And uh, nobody made the bonus line yet on KUD, so there's still some stuff that's, that's broke, but we haven't really labeled anything as the 11 through 15 yet, but okay. there's probably going to be a lot of that coming. Cool. In fact, if, uh, if you look on Instagram, there is a, a one drop. The, at Jeremy on the Rocks, he was dropping, and it's really not a bad drop. Your tire drops about three, four feet, and they're in four-wheel steer rigs, but you're looking straight off of a 300-foot cliff. And the whole thing is is it, it's it's the exposure that gets you. And the same thing at the competition. When you're here in Brown Springs and you're in one of those bowls and you're sitting at the very top and you're having to turn around at the top and your tires are hanging over the edge, it, it can be – intimidating to say the least
0: yes yeah the stuff here at brown springs is the the biggest stuff that that we have available in the comp scene right now at least uh at least for we rock sure sure
1: so we've we have finished off this mapping system and this year uh the cliffhangers has spent a little over five thousand dollars on making the major signs that you see on the main road and the kiosks And stuff like that so uh game and fish blm and the cliffhangers work together to do it but we use the cliffhangers money to do it and there have been times where uh we've had to spend our our money on the blm with things we didn't want to oh really okay so when when around 2009 uh you came here you brought we rock and it wasn't the best time, was it? No,
0: the experience was not. Uh, the, the, the competition was great. We picked a bad weekend because the weather sucked. But, you know, the, uh, the relationship with the local office at the time was below par.
1: Well, we were having the same issue. Okay. Um, we were going into meetings where they were talking about canceling motorized use in the Glade. And before it all started, the city was having kind of council meetings, and, and it's not the city council, but, but put together a council. Myself, uh, I represented the four-wheel drive group. Um, there were a few people from the bike community, a few people from the equestrians, a few people from the hiking community. Um, the motorcyclists, they, they showed up too, and they're really the guys that were cutting a lot of this long-distance stuff here way before anybody else. Right. And uh, the idea was to figure out a way to move motorized use, and I just stood in front of them and said, look, if you want to move motorized use, then you need to move the 1,600 wells that are using motors to pull oil and gas out of the ground. And the BLM stood up and said, well, we can't do that. That's where our budget comes from. And, and that was exactly my point, but I'd put together about a 14 or 16 page document when everybody went up to talk about why they should still be in the Glade. They really only talked about themselves. And the document I put together was it consisted of mapping, marking, action and enforcement. And when we talked about uh, mapping out the trails and stuff. It basically goes by size and the people below you all can still be on your trail. Like for example, if you're on a a single track, that's going to be your motorcycles and your bicycles. And if you're on a 50 inch trail, that's going to be, um, you know, your ATV, not, your, not really your side-by-side. And then it moves up to like 72 inch and then four-wheel drive. Well, when you get to the four-wheel drive level, Everybody from an equestrian to, uh, you know, a bike rider or a four-wheel drive, whatever, they can all be together on the same trail. We're not going very fast when we're rock crawling in Chokecherry Canyon. True. So there's no reason why we can't pull up to a group of horses and just shut our engines off and maybe even have a good chat. I mean, everybody works together here. So we went through that, and I, I did have a big point about the equestrians they were never represented well they never had good areas because of different things like wherever we might be in a recreation area they wouldn't allow shooting so places they would go there would be a bunch of shooters out there and so they wouldn't know exactly where to go and how to deal with it so i had some proposals for that and then as as far as uh marking the trails we were already doing that since the 90s and then um, action and enforcement was really where it came down to the problems in the Glade. Uh, first of all, one of the mountain bike riders stood up and said that the four-wheel drive guys are the guys that are dumping out there. The four-wheel drive guys are the guys that are getting all the tickets. Well, we had secretly invited Daniel Webb, one of the sheriffs, to the event just to, just to speak if he had to. So, well, he stood up and said the only ticket that's been issued there was of a mountain bike rider who lined a kid on a four-wheeler and his brother had to come back and wrestle him off of this kid. And he ended up getting arrested for false imprisonment of a minor. Wow. So needless to say that doctor left town and he was a so doctor. Really, yeah.
0: Mountain bike yep. rider that did this to a kid. Wow. He, he,
1: he took it really far. Um, and I'm sure that the kids probably were doing something, right? Oh, yeah. But uh, you definitely don't do what what you did out there. So anyways, we're the guys that are cleaning up the canyon one or, once or twice a year at the time. And we were known for organizing it. From the 70s on, we've always had these canyon cleanups. So to say we were dumping out there is kind of like we're just going to go dump and pick it up later. I I just had a problem with that.
0: Anybody so, in their right mind should have a problem with that.
1: Right. And uh, so when it comes to action and enforcement, the action comes from the users. If you're out there and you see something going wrong, do something about it. Call me. Call, you know, if if you have to, call the sheriff. Call somebody. And uh, we'll get you with the right people. The other day there was someone that was going and dumping out there, and uh, the person called me, said, hey, I need J.J. or Cole's number. I gave them both. They called and they got the person caught because they followed him. And so that's the kind of action we need so that we can have enforcement come in. Um, so it's, it's, it's working its way out. The San Juan County has put together an app called Clean Up San Juan. And so if you basically go into your clean up San Juan app, you take a picture of the, the dump site and enter some information and the picture you need to have your GPS data on when you take the picture and they'll come out, they investigate it, and then somebody else comes out and cleans it up. So that's why we're having less and less of the trash that's coming into the canyon. I think first it's because of action and enforcement, but second, it's also because we have some people coming out and picking up individual dump sites. And to give you an example of the cleanup that we did just before Four Corners 4x4 week, which was this week, um, we filled three 25-yard containers with trash when normally we would fill six. So that's an accomplishment there. Absolutely. And then for for We Rock, we filled another 25-yard container full of sticker bushes. (laughs)
0: so that we could have
1: everybody parking and camping uh parking is really important to me if if we can't get the spectators to the event um people around here are going to be disappointed right they love it and and you were up this year as far as attendance yeah
0: 20 percent increase in attendance over 2019 wow yeah that's huge yeah it is and and the number of states that the people came to watch this from was amazing i mean we had just about all the western states covered and that's just going yeah, that's off awesome. of our, our pre-ticket sales which are electronic so we have that data
1: sure sure yeah so i the glade has really come around um having an active mapping system and having a lot of these signs up, I mean, we do have every now and then somebody that's driving a four-wheel drive rig or side-by-side, runs over the Carsonites or whatever, you know, and we have to go back and place them. But uh, now that we have this active mapping system, I mean, these things are within inches of where you're at. Wow. Which is beautiful. So you can get there, you can see uh, what you're working with, and when you get onto the trails, you're seeing what kind of difficulty it is. And you can keep moving. Now, I did get told this week during fall crawl that our sixes are more like an eight. <laughs> so, for anybody that's out here, um, our our easiest trails are more like Moab's hardest trails. There are bypasses, though. That's good. So, the
0: Glade is the Glade is solid for years to come, it, it appears. The, the Bureau of Land Management here in this area is phenomenal to work with and
1: yeah, especially Jake.
0: Yeah. Jake McBride, um, the new recreational planner that we're working with and I hope others get to work with him is, is just off the hook. The guy's, the guy's on it. He's on, he's sharp. He's, uh, you know, he, he loves motorized recreation, so he makes it, he makes it easy, but you know, we still have controls. So, Right, You know, the, the promoters that, that organize events like we do, you know, need to make sure that they, they do what they say they're going to do. You know, and that's anywhere we go, whether it's private land or public land is that, you know, those being, being honest, being forthright and having follow through is, is key. And that goes for clubs as well.
1: Right. Because they're going to come and check up on your post use report. If you write a post use report and it's not accurate, you may not get that permit next time. Right. And fortunately, this year, both We Rock and the Cliffhangers Four Wheel Drive Club ended up with a five year permit.
0: Yes, that
1: is correct. So the Cliffhangers Four Wheel Drive Club is talking about putting together a plan. To do enough events to carry year-round insurance nice really so not per event but we would have year-round what that does is let's say monster energy wants to come and do an event in chokecherry canyon they want to run it but they need a permit and and a group with insurance that can take care of it as well as be whether it's the guides or show people around and get them set up to where they can guide um that's that's a you know it's it's a big deal because they can actually come here and pay a price to the club which would still go right back to our land use funds and and operational funds and stuff like that and marketing don't get me wrong we spend money on marketing i think this year for Four Corners 4x4 four four Week, we were somewhere around $15,000. But we knew we had to spend that kind of money to be able to get enough people to show up. As New Mexico started pushing the mask mandates in public buildings and stuff, we had multiple clubs dropping out. So we were really pushing for those, you know, those Jeepers and buggy drivers and, and people that, that were like, okay, I'm going out there to camp. I'll go to a store and maybe wear a mask, but I'm not going to be in public buildings. I'm going out there to wheel and camp and stuff like that. So, you know, kind of one of the, one of the things that I think is just awesome about the work we've done with Game and & Fish and the BLM and everything is that we have a 10-space campground out at brown springs with vaulted toilets and every camp spot has its own little pavilion has its own grill and level then we parking. have a park yeah level parking exactly and then we also have uh, a pavilion that has parking including handicap parking and another vaulted toilet and it's got two different types of skills courses There's uh, a big mile-long skills course for 50-inch wide and below, and then there's a flat skills course that they open up for kids to learn how to ride four-wheelers, side-by-sides, motorcycles, stuff like that, and then we have a little tiny round track inside of where everybody parks uh, at that area, and we've cleared areas across from the campground and then across from Brown Springs so that when we have a big event like this, everybody can camp right up at the event. And it, I feel like it really makes everybody feel like when We Rock comes to town or Four Corners 4 by 4 week is happening, that everybody's a community. Every year that we've had fall crawl, we have people that stay in touch and plan out what trails they're going to do at fall crawl together the next year, which I think is just really cool.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: One of the things we did this year for uh, the competitors was if if they wanted to come out on a fall crawl trail, they didn't have to register. Oh, wow. We would put them in and they would be like either what we would call like sponsor drivers, because we allow uh, two Jeep vehicles or two four wheel drives or two buggies, whatever you want to call it, uh, from each of our sponsors, our major sponsors. To be on the trails for both uh, the Labor Day Invitational and Fall Crawl.
0: Okay. So. Excellent. So th- let's let's jump into back into the beginning and some of the people that helped um, sure. open this area up and the the people that we that are no longer with us that you know some of their
1: history. Well, let's let's talk about Jim Peterson. Jim Peterson, uh, he like I said earlier, he's, he's the one that brought us into the cliffhangers four-wheel drive club in 1983. And when things started really gearing up and we started seeing a lot of built Jeeps, um, basically around the time everybody was going to 33-inch tires um, and 35-inch tires, Jim started building – really like just a, a real nice looking jeep and uh where the jeep impression was he would put jimp so built by jimp and it would be jim p ah, and okay. uh so so i've been every now and then when i get an old picture or i use uh, or i take a picture of um the old she I, I use that as a hashtag um, and Damon Peterson, his son, asked me the other day, what's that mean? And because uh, he he explained the story behind Jimp, and I, we basically explained that's exactly why we were doing that, that hashtag. So he was building uh, a lot of the Wranglers uh, around this area, and Off Again was too. And they were kind of the two competitors. But when they were off work, they were out in the canyon together uh, with Phil Collard and and people like that but so Jim had this this look and it was a super clean look so you knew when you saw a Jeep driving around town if it was built by Jim Peterson it all of them had a specific build they typically used the same tires same rims Um, most of them got a specific paint job but it'd be you know a a fancy paint job and the colors that the person chose and uh you just knew it was a it was a jim peterson built jeep vehicle and back then uh a lot of people in the club had a really good relationship with frank curry and so they the curries would show up here and uh four-wheel drive and then they showed up here when the competition started and everything and so typically jim would have you know a set or two uh, two sets of their axles going in builds every time they showed up so sometimes they would just bring the crates with them when they came if they could fit them <laughs> which was pretty cool awesome um moving into the uh, all the competitions as we got into arca um jim built the she for amy and uh amy drove and Jim spotted, kind of like what Jewel and I are doing today. And it was just a really good-looking rig. I mean, it, it was orange on the front. There was kind of a triangulated flame look. And then it was outlined in yellow, but but the rig was white. And uh, it was just a, a beautiful rig. And it really complemented Jim's super Jeep. But they were competing in it. So Amy would run a huge American flag off the back of the Jeep. And uh, she had quite a few titles under her belt uh, after sh- when she hung her helmet up. Right. And when she hung the helmet and steering wheel up, uh, her husband, Steve, continued. And Jim built like one of the first, uh, I-, I would say, aggressive buggies around here which uh bob Barr now owns it, uh, doug lloyd uh took both the she and then blue two is what he he called the second one um and and he resurrected them. so basically they tore them completely down and put them back together as if they were new um i just saw the other day that uh trail hero posted a picture on instagram of the original she And, uh, of course, like I said, Bob Barr was at the competition with a different Jeep, but he does have, uh, Bluetooth and I believe he came and asked you about, uh, what it needs to compete for next year. And I, I think you told him just a fire extinguisher and he's good to go. Right. Correct. So, so yeah, he's already got one in there, but he needs to have a couple. Um, so at the same time that jim was building all these rigs harold off was building a lot of rigs and uh because they had all of this different um tooling and stuff to do uh, fine machining for implements and different PTO, uh, shafts and stuff. They were building drive lines for stuff that you'd never imagine. I mean, little tiny U joints on little tiny drive shafts and just weird, odd stuff that, that you never see anywhere else. And so they had all this tooling. Oh, and they were also, uh, they had a full motor shop. So, uh, they were doing all of these different things. So it was easy for them to bring in, Out of the salvage yard like let's say you had a wrecked camaro they could pull the motor stick it in a jeep with a good built transmission and they'd go through the motor and and tune it up a little bit and uh just really kick out some amazing rigs and at the same time uh, i shouldn't say at the same time as jim because actually harold started earlier Okay. I want to say it was the early 70s, maybe late 70s, when he made the Navajo brake system. Okay. So basically, this would give your CJ a brake system uh, with about 1,800 PSI. You would eliminate your proportioning valve, and the, the rear brakes would go to the front of the master cylinder. Uh, the front brakes would go to the rear. And the way it was designed is that if we would get the the vehicles up to about 25 miles an hour, there's like a a prescription for this, and we'd go off-road at this one spot. You get to 25 miles an hour, and you'd lock up the brakes, and CFL 4 would lock up at the same time, and you would make your adjustments from there. And then you do the same thing at 10 miles an hour and make sure you didn't see anything different. And the Navajo brake system today still sells, I want to say... They're probably selling just under 100 brake systems a month right wow. now. Um, maybe that's because there's a lot of Biden bucks still out there or something. <laughs> Biden bucks. Got to love it. But uh, yeah, so we had uh, another name that doesn't come around anymore, Chipmunk. Monk. Yep. Uh, Remember he Chip. used to be big into a lot of stuff, and he always had these extreme builds like his Skittles build. And they would build some of it, but Harold would do a lot for them too, and they had a good relationship. I remember one time we went out to uh, um, Combs Wash. We were down right inside of Combs Ridge camping right by Hotel Rock and Arch Canyon, and they both brought their competition rigs. Well, actually, Chip brought Skittles. Harold brought the Pepto-Bismol Jeep, and that was his original uh, scrambler that he competed in. Right. Um. I, I think in 1997, he competed one event in the Violated Scrambler. And the Violated Scrambler has a unique story. Uh, he got one of the first Scramblers that came off the line and immediately cut the back and bobbed it. And there were a lot of people in the Scrambler community as well as just the Jeep community that were disappointed about that. But it proved to be just a really awesome Uh, four-wheel driving machine and uh, years later Warren came to off again and uh, did a bunch of R&D work on the Black Diamond suspension system and so they were doing the development uh, down here just to have different terrain than they had in Washington right right now the Violated Scrambler still has that rear control arm setup where there's a bushing at the frame side that just i mean the end of the control arm is a bolt with with bushings on either side (laughs) if i i was uh i took it to an event with jeeps west and this was years ago and i'm driving and this is after harold passed away um i was driving it and uh i'd go down the side road of the freeway and and the back of the jeep would just kind of wag its tail and uh so we started playing with it there and I, I tightened everything down as tight as i could and uh it it still just kind of like to wag along and if you remember this system they ran a sway bar across the control arms the lower control arms you had a sway bar across it, and I, I don't know if that ever became problematic when you drug a rock in between there but um obviously it was over the driveline so it probably never got hit too much but it just it's an interesting setup and uh the coilovers that they used were the original fox single coil coil over so it it was an interesting build we just took the uh violated scrambler and uh we put a 6 in it so it's it's got an lq motor in it and uh the next step is we're gonna correct those control arms we're gonna put you know up-to-date control arms because the geometry was great we just need to put the tabs in and get get those control arms on in so the violated scrambler should be going to events again um the, the reason I got involved with all of the Jeeps, I mean, Off Again is my family. But uh, the reason I got involved with all the Jeeps is in 2012, I came back. Harold Off passed away in 2011. And so I, I, I had come back, and, and I, was, I had left Off Again in 2010. And right after I left, he came down with pancreatic cancer, and, and he was gone within a year and in 2012 i came back i got all of the uh jeeps running some of them i had to pull the tank i had to pull a fuel line he had he had line running the fuel that wasn't even supposed to you shouldn't even have fuel going through it <laughs> it the the upper plenums you know the injectors and everything were gummed up so i took uh the upper half of the motor you know basically cleaned everything up uh injectors stuff like that replaced all the fuel lines on, uh, on the Pepto-Bismol Jeep and pinky. And then, uh, the violated scrambler, just, it didn't need a whole lot. It it had metal fuel line going all the way down or stainless fuel line going all the way down the frame. So that wasn't too bad. Just having to replace a few sections and just really get it to run. But what I had done is, is because Harold was gone and nobody was driving the Jeeps, I started taking each of the Jeeps out to events giving them some exercise, giving them some love, letting them go play and uh, and then bringing them back. In 2014, a bunch of people were wanting to buy Pinky. And so the family came to me and asked us to buy it so that we could keep it in the family. And so we took our Defender 90 and sold it and bought Pinky, and that's how we ended up with Pinky. Okay. Um, the Pepto Bismol Jeep uh, RTZ off road, Julio or Julian, from Italy. Right. He came and picked up the Pepto Bismol Jeep and gave Phyllis a price she agreed to. He shipped it to Italy and never paid for it. Oh, really? So there's people that Harold ran with, like Walker Evans and Jim Sims and John Bundy and people like that. That if they saw the guy, he he'd probably regret his actions Uh, regret it i would say so um i'm very disappointed that that happened um but uh you know to do that to a widow right after you know her husband dies is just crazy i mean it was within a year he stole that jeep
0: huh and it's over in italy
1: I believe so, because that's the last I heard is is it was seen in Italy, um, and I'm not sure what the heck he was doing with it, because he used to take Harold's designs, and he would put them in his booth at Easter Jeep Safari, and that would be, um, you know, he would show it as his suspension system with RTZ off road. and i would see it there and i and he would have it flexed out and he'd have like price tags on stuff and he put a suspension system on my 2000 tj that we call the cheeto it's been around for a long time i can't believe how many people know the cheeto but uh we go to sema and it was the coolest thing i mean i got i can't remember what the award was at sema with it it was just out front as a feature vehicle and uh it, it was an okay system, but for some reason, the way the geometry worked, and it was, it was a, basically a, a four-link with radius arms in the rear and a three-link with radius arms in the front, and I noted that a lot of people that we had put the system on for were breaking control arms. So I started cutting them down to see what was going on. And I, I could not figure it out because he was using quarter wall tubing and, and like some pretty strong stuff. It was like inch and three quarter quarter wall tubing. And, um, but for some reason right behind where the radius arm came off, they were breaking. So it, it had to do something with, uh, axle wrap and, and geometry I would imagine. Right. But, uh, you know, I, of course I took that suspension system off right away and, and, Harold and I just kind of slapped together what we thought would work and it really did work and that was pretty cool but so my uh, experience at off again I came into off again thinking I knew everything about Jeep and I knew how I was going to fix every Jeep and I was known to be pretty good at fixing jeeps out on the trail because we people break out here a lot and i usually carried enough tooling to get people in we could we could pull an axle shaft we could take links off and get chain falls going both ways to hold the axle in place whatever it took and i came in and i would get a jeep to work on because i was i was a sales and service manager but harold was having me there to do the planning and the builds because he didn't trust some of the mechanics at the shop to do a lot of the things so after hours i would work on people's vehicles and and he treated me well for that but when we had a vehicle come in that had something wrong he would tell me to fix something and i would argue with them and i told pat Gramillion this story one time and so about six months goes by of me just going okay I'm not going to argue with Harold. I'm going to do what he says, and then we'll go on a ride. And if it didn't fix it, you know, we'll work on the next piece. And it got to be to where we would go on a ride together when the Jeep would come in and Harold would say, "Okay, Rick, what do you think it is? And I would tell him I'm going to check, you know, bushings, himes and. Maybe maybe a carrier or something like that. We, we might have a rattle or something weird. And so he'd say, okay, come to the office and check in with me when you've uh, checked all that, and we'll come up with a plan. Well, it started getting to where he just let me loose on all of the Jeeps that he had built that would come in. Um, I mean, we Walker came in one time, Walker Evans, and he needed a new steering column. So I, I was in the back got him a new steering column had my steering column mechanic go through it make sure everything was freshened up all the bearings everything we slapped that thing in we we had a new steering column in walker's rig i want to say within an hour and a half fully rebuilt inside and out and uh harold wouldn't let him pay so walker comes walks out the front door comes back through the garage And puts four hundred dollars in my pocket, and he goes, "Put that in the drawer." (laughs) And so (laughs) I snuck it in the drawer. And uh, when when Harold didn't want to take money from you, he would take offense if you gave him money. And uh, he took offense that day. But uh, what was really cool when uh, like Phyllis um, and some of the other girls. So Phyllis and Phyllis would get together, and Jan uh, Gramilian. And they would get together and they'd go upstairs in off again. And there were a bunch of kachinas and, and a lot of old Indian art and stuff like that. And and they would like kind of, you know, all the ladies would be buying, selling and trading together within their circle. So they always had stuff to do. Like, for instance, this year, if, if Pat and Jan had showed up to Easter Jeep Safari, Phyllis would have come up and spent the day with them like she'll drive three hours just to spend a day with the ladies and then drive back three hours. Right. So, so yeah, they, there was just such a close relationship. And when it comes to the Rat Pack, which was uh, a lot of those names I mentioned, um, you know, some of them are big names, but they all had this really close relationship. And Pat Gramillion told me that Harold was like the glue. He was like the chairman. And, You you, what you had was some of the guys and maybe they were from California or somewhere that were more liberal and some of the guys were, were more conservative and they would get in these arguments and Harold would get in the middle of the arguments and say, look, we're out here to have fun together. We're friends. This stuff doesn't separate us. Because. We have common ground, so basically shut your faces and let's go wheeling <laughs> and harold was very stern with everybody and when harold passed away basically pat was telling me you know things just kind of fell apart you see walker wheeling with people that um in my opinion some of the people know real well but some people that wheel with him, they might be spotting him in in his older age and just they they don't know they really have to get a hold of walker like you know uh there was one time i i know the people that were with him know him really well and and everything but he drove like up the crack the devil's crack on moab rim and then drove off the end of of it almost like i mean one tire was hanging off the edge oh
0: yeah instead of going right he kept going straight exactly right and that was a that was an evening wasn't it too
1: yeah it was in the evening but i mean when you with Walker, and the same thing happens with one of our club members. With Walker, you, my understanding from Harold was, you had to like basically, almost yell at him. Hey, stop, stop! And because uh, he was he Walker was a good driver. He could creep and crawl, and and I mean in his competing days, he would he would really throw down on some of these climbs. Um, he won a he championship
0: it with Calrocks.
1: Yeah. And, yep. and so he he brought some really interesting vehicles here. And, and a lot of those vehicles we saw inside of off again. It might be just the little things, but uh, we got to we got to play with a lot of those rigs, which was pretty cool. Um, so. After Harold passed away, um, a, a lot of us have really felt him not being around the same thing with Jim Peterson. It's, it's just different in this area. And when my dad passed away, uh, in 04, uh, you know, dad was doing a lot of the land use stuff with Phil, dad was helping Phil, uh, with any side stuff that he needed to do when Phil was setting up ARCA courses, you courses and stuff like that. Mom and dad would always go with Phil Collard to some of those areas and like Cedar City or Delta or wherever they were going to go, I, I don't even know if they hit Delta, but Cedar City for sure, here, uh, Las Cruces, whenever there was going to be a competition, um, dad would usually wrangle up the judges. And that's kind of what I do now, too. I guess I guess a lot of the things that, that dad did, I've been doing, uh, you know, just I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it?
0: No, it doesn't. No matter how much the kids may say otherwise at times, they don't
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I enjoy it. I, I really do enjoy uh, working on the land stuff and, and all of that stuff, and you know one of the things when when I was doing the RNP after I put together the document at the city forum, when we got together, they did the um, the little council. That council got crushed right away because um, you know everybody was me me me, nobody was willing to work together. So later on, the BLM started their RMP process, and with the club, they were really pushing hard on us. They were they were putting their thumb down on on right on the club, and at that time, they were basically we were the bad guys to uh, to the club. And this is around the time that you guys first started showing up with We Rock, right. And uh, so we hired Jim Sims or not Jim Sims, uh Jim Cooper. And uh, we ended up spending about 10 grand. But the, the thing that the BLM will do is throw a bunch of acronyms, which turns into a bunch of jargon that you don't understand. And you really got to dig in to like the NEPA process which is the National Environmental Protection Act. you got to look at that process that's written into that act, and you've got to find all this jargon. But the the acronyms aren't spelled out there. They've just made these acronyms over the years, and we didn't understand what we were talking about sometimes. The BLM invited us to the BLM office, and they said, we only need a few people to come. We're talking about uh, what we're going to do with the Glade. And one of the options, there was like an A, B, and C. One of the options was to close the Glade for motorized use.
0: Unacceptable.
1: So, so, right. It was unacceptable. We had already discussed it at that forum with the city. So now we had to do it again with the BLM, even though the BLM was present in the other forum. So we didn't hold back. We brought in people – I we had people drive down from Canada. We had people coming in from California. A bunch of people showed up, and they decided they were just going to go wheeling in the canyon and make a big event out there without a permit to, as a protest. And all of those people showed up in that room. That room was standing room only, and it was a big uh, kind of like amphitheater kind of um, – setup that the blm had in their office at the time like it's multiple stairs i I think it was a training room or something but uh we filled that room so they knew right then and there what was going on and the funny thing is our club was very much i'm not going to name the the groups that we were paying into but we're taking club money each year and Multiple members were also signing up with these groups that supposedly help with motorized use. And we're putting a bunch of money into them. When we reached out to the groups we put the most money into to help us with uh, paying Cooper uh, and uh, getting all of the stuff lined out and everything, and then also getting uh, even comments in for the comment period, it was like crickets. They weren't even there. (laughs) I was so disappointed. I reached out to a friend that all of us know really well. Who's gone all over the place with one of these groups. And I was like, you know, I I told you this was coming and. You know what's going on? And he's like, Rick, it's out of my control. I just I I go around all these events and I, I promote the group, but. All of this is you know, higher above me, and if, if they're not pushing for a comment, period, then they've got a reason to do that. So the club stopped supporting those groups, and uh, we continued supporting our own four-wheeling efforts here. So now, because of these events, we keep uh, locked away a specific amount of money. And it goes up every year because of legal costs, uh, what they're going to be, you know, lawyers cost more and more every year, but, but we keep this, this specific amount of money aside in case we ever get into a situation again.
0: Good. I think you're, I think you're good right now with the group that's in there and even, even the regional and, you know, the directors up higher, there was some of those out here this last weekend and they I will say they were this, really loved what we what they were seeing with our event at least and right. uh yeah. you know and yeah. I praised you guys and what's been done out here in their office and everything so yeah
1: you know there was one thing um that you know still hits me a little hard is uh Rick Fields passed away and he was the head of the Farmington Field office um he Was diagnosed with cancer and gone within a few months right and he was very close to our club um and we were we're very sad to lose such somebody that was just so much into just all of the uses and i mean we're talking even even minerals and stuff like that just what a great guy he protected the arc sites but He didn't overprotect him like we've seen in Las Cruces. Um, Our arc sites are marked and they're all like not marked so people can go and just trample on them, but they're marked for. Basically, for reasons that you can't get into them and stuff like that. Right. So the areas out
0: here have been are basically fenced off now.
1: It's, yeah, out at Brown Springs, especially because we're getting such traffic out there. Yes. No matter what group you're in, you're going to have that one to five percent. They're going to drive cross country over, you know, uh, maybe a burial ground, or you know, do do something crazy that that mo- most people won't do. Correct. Um, you know, we we see that every year. We've even got a one to fiver that that shows up at the downtown takeover the off-road downtown takeover <laughs> and yeah, we uh, talked about that <laughs> yeah i am just i'm just it's it's time to uh kind of start changing our rules for coming to that event but uh you know the four corners four by four week has grown this is the 11th year uh but really it was a redo for year 10 because we lost uh 2020 um and it's it's grown so much and when we rock came back i mean you were not going to come back and it took a phone call from doug mckim who was uh just above the recreational management planning position at the time but doing filling in for those duties um you weren't going to come back but when you did it gave the club an opportunity to take the downtown deal that was called fall crawl a long time ago and make fall crawl four wheeling in the glade and turn the show into the off-road downtown takeover correct and we've done everything we can to make it exciting i mean we send trailers out to uh the the comp site and we'll pick those drivers up and then a couple hours before the show ends, we'll take them back, but they still get to be part of the party. They get to have a beer and hang out and do things. And, uh, they put on a good show, uh, right alongside of the four by four car show and the vendors and the flex ramp. And we, we try to put them right up next to the flex ramp because that's where all the people are. Right. And so they get to watch the action and they don't have to leave their rig. And also you get so many people just in and around the uh, the rigs that it, it works out really well. I remember the first
0: year we came back and we did that. There was some teams that were like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That's dumb. And then they, when, you know, they didn't, they couldn't see beyond their nose basically. And everybody came back from down there and they saw pictures and, and heard the stories and, you know, what they missed out on. Now nobody misses out on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got guys like uh, Randall and Dave. They drove a big trailer down with both rigs in it. Yes. And uh, I I think it was both of their first year to be there. And, man, seeing, seeing those two show up was like, I don't know, for me was huge. I mean, I, I've worked really hard on this event with Alan Elmore. And this year I lost Alan. And so I, I had to put everything together and then just hand certain things that I couldn't take care of while I'm doing my daily business. And, uh, I'd have it all set up and I'd have them knock it down. And, and Caleb Kern, I mean, he, if it wasn't for him, a lot of this wouldn't be going on. Because I he he was in town to get the paperwork into who they needed to get it into, setting up the insurance and stuff. And he's the one that is spearheaded for the club the availability to get year-round insurance and came up with the idea. So I think that's going to sell uh, as far as the club and will be hopefully a bonus for other groups coming to the area if they want to have an event.
0: True. That's awesome. So. Yeah, yeah, Caleb did a good job working with Shelley as well on on various things with around the event and your guys' event and our event, the coordination.
1: Good. Good. Yeah, so and then and then we also have this uh raffle that we put on, and Cody Thomason really he he spearheads that. Uh there's and Limited reached out to a bunch of manufacturers and got a bunch of stuff coming in. But Cody Thomason um, he really brings in a lot as well, and he organizes all of it for the raffle. And I want to say this year we sold 700 raffle tickets, and most of them were sold on site at the Off-Road Downtown Takeover.
0: Wow. Excellent.
1: I think before we had just 300 tickets that uh, you know the club had sold before that. But the fact that 400 more tickets sold at the show, that's just – you know, beyond what I expected. Right. So. Awesome. So
0: let's talk, let's talk about Rick. You know, All right. um, Your uh, what you do when you're not wheeling. And then we can talk about, uh, a little bit about your
1: daughter as well. Sure. The one sure. that's wheeling that is the one I'm, I yeah. mean. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, I am a regional manager for our southern territory with Northwest Instruments and Controls. I take care of a lot of plants, power plants, refineries, midstream gas plants. Um, I take care of pharmaceutical manufacturers, breweries, food manufacturers. In fact, Leprino cheese is a, a good customer of ours. Um, Molson Coors is a very big, big customer of ours. Really, but our what's that
0: i said oh really that's
1: yeah awesome yeah uh i've got we've got two power plants here one uh coal-fired power plant that's about to close down p san juan um unfortunately we're losing 1800 megawatts of generation there uh we've got uh aps four corners which is on uh the navajo reservation they're a huge customer of mine in fact today uh just before your call, uh, we just got—I want to say—a little over a quarter million dollar order that I've been working on for years. Nice. Um, so this is—that's what I do. I uh, I regionally manage Utah, New Mexico, Arizona. I take care of Southern Colorado, West Texas, Nevada, and Northern California right now. Um, we are growing into Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. We cover. Montana, Wyoming, and all of Colorado, North Dakota, South Dakota. So we have a pretty big footprint for Northwest Instruments and a very small group of employees, which is kind of nice. Um, I want to say, you know, we're, we're a $20 to $30 million a year company. So we're not super huge, but uh, we do very unique things. Just about everybody in every piece of the territory that I just told you that has a hydrogen cooled generator we're taking care of their hydrogen and making sure that it's safe. Nice. And that's just one for instance. And then the one of the major brands for continuous emissions monitoring or manufacturers, I should say, um, we're, we're basically their go-to for anybody that doesn't have an internal account. So if you are buying this manufacturer, um, you have to go through us. So that's all taken care of by territory and stuff like that. So it's kind of neat. I get to drive around and I go I go to some of the neatest places. I, I get into some of the craziest mechanical design and do a bunch of pro, you know programmable logic programming, programming flow meters, and um, just setting stuff up for customers. And that's not my job, but I think a lot of people know how I am. If, if I sell you something, I'll help you fix it. Or put it together if with my customers if i sell it to them and uh, they need a little training i'll come and do it just because they bought it and i've always lived with a mindset when building a jeep or maybe putting a you know a d super heater uh in a in a power plant or something like that um, i'm worried about what i put in there for the next 20 years. And I have not been with the company for 20 years. So there's a lot of equipment that I've sold over the years that, that I check on it all the time. And I was the same way with my Jeep builds. Typically, if you got a brand new Jeep and you had brought it to me and we did a little bit of planning and we got the stuff in and we put it all together, you'd get a phone call from me uh probably about a month later, and I'd say, Are you hearing any new noises? How does the Jeep feel? Are you liking it? And can can you bring it in for a retork? And uh, I do the same thing in this business today. And the way I got headhunted into this company is they were asking people who they should hire, um, and and mainly they'd be looking for instrumentation electrical techs or engineers. And a bunch of the guys at the plants here locally, because these are some of our biggest customers, uh, were basically saying. You need to find Rick Jenkins because not only is, does he have a good mechanical aptitude, he also uh, is very into his customers and very interested in, in their satisfaction. So they called me. They interviewed everybody one time. They interviewed me five times to figure out if they could take a guy that was in the print advertising industry And make him an instrumentation and control salesman. (laughs) So my territory at the time was just northern New Mexico. And it was bringing in about like 280,000 a year. I came in in the middle of May and to December, I did 800,000. So they're like, okay, this is the right guy. We can grow with him. Um, Some unique things within the business. We fly into Houston. I'm with the vice president. And it's my first training, and and we decide one night, let's go downtown. And so we walk in the doors of the Hyatt, and there's three guys there, and I'm wearing my super chip shirt. There's three guys there going, Rick! And and he's looking at me like, what the heck? And we're right next to the enterprise building. Well, it just happened to be that the enterprise guys that I work with around the country were all having a meeting there. So they brought myself and the vice president in and if we didn't have to drive anywhere, if we were staying at the Hyatt, they would have had us so driven into the ground where we wouldn't have been able to, uh, with drinks to, uh, (laughs) to go to work the next morning, you know, but, uh, it's, it's happened over and over. I, I flew into Florida for an all hands meeting in 2013. And, uh, I was telling Jim McGinn with super chips that I couldn't, I couldn't. He was at RMI Atlanta at the time, but he was working for Super Chips and he needed me to do some statements. And I told him I I didn't think I could because I was going to stay at SeaWorld in Florida. And uh, he goes, oh, okay, you know, well, we somehow they figured it out when we were getting out one night. And we're all walking out. It's a group of people from all over the country that were were pushing this specific manufacturer. Uh, or they were representing, I should say, not pushing. Um, we walk out and this lime green Jeep pulls up that's all built and everything. And they basically say, where's Rick Jenkins? And it was unique because I I was chosen to be a leader of uh, one of the groups. We had four groups that we split uh, you know, a few thousand people into, and I was a leader of one of the groups. And so there were a bunch of people in that group going, Oh, he's walking out like right behind us. Here he is. And the employees of my company are like, what the heck is going on here? So we went out with, uh, the guys from super chips and they took me out for Italian and we hung out and I got to meet the president of the company. And this was before power tech bottom, um, and it was almost right after that, that powertech bought super chips, but, uh, we had a really good time. They brought me back and, uh, everybody just wanted to hear the stories and I'm like, well, there's not really much to tell. I mean, I went out and had some drinks and had some Italian with the guys and, you know, we just talked shop. And so that was, that was a good time, but it, it happened again. When we flew into Boston, we landed and some of my friends that, uh, coincidentally put my wife up when we had jewel she was seven and a half weeks early so they gave her a room and a truck for a month while she would drive back and forth to the hospital every day and uh they just happened to be getting off the plane as we're getting off the plane and and the company's like why is it that every time we go somewhere with you pretty much within the first few days we you're running into people you know and i think you know That happens to a lot of people in our community because we get to know people all over the place, which I think is is awesome that we meet so many people from so many places because of the unique things we do. Right. I mean, people that have four wheel drive vehicles, it's something like three percent of that group even uses the four wheel drive functionality of the vehicle vehicle or something like that. So. Turn that towards jeep and and uh ford bronco now and stuff like that that they're even a even more fire it's more of a niche group because they're not just using four-wheel drive functionality to drive in the ice or or snow or to get to the the back fence of the farm they're using these vehicles a lot of people are uh to go out off-road and be on an adventure so that's pretty cool yeah, yeah, exactly. So that you know, this business has been good to me. It it has allowed me to compete and race. Uh, I I was racing with four corners, four by four, and uh, we we started with the Everyman Challenge and raced Dirt Riot for years and enjoyed every bit of it. I went all over the place with Dirt Riot and. Uh, The cool thing about it was when I came to the company, I said, look, I am coming on in 2012, I just started the season and I said, Hey, I'm committed to this racing. And they said, well, we'll take a look at it. If you're, if your numbers are good and they don't drop because you're doing this racing thing, then we'll, we'll continue this. And, uh, what happened was I, I think the biggest one, it, it was every time I went away on a a dirt riot trip, I'd be sitting in the passenger seat and, uh, have my little hotspot. And I'd be like reaching out to all my customers that I wasn't talking to because I'm really trying to push new business or new quotes or whatever. So I would go to close old quotes and a lot of them would be like, Oh shoot, I need to have that here by October. How many weeks out is it? You know, that kind of thing. And so I'd get all these POs. So after the first couple of trips, the CEO calls me and says, Hey, you you want to go on vacation? Be my guest. You can go as long as you want. You go. The kind of money you bring in when you're on vacation is ridiculous. In 2015, we were going to Goldendale, Washington, because what we wanted to do is take a 4600 car. And what we're trying to do is help the the We Rock Mod Stock class. Uh, There's one east coast driver and us and what we were trying to do is show all the 4600 drivers that they could take that rig that they built for 4600 class and we could all go out and compete in we rock and one of the points that we were trying to make is that it's it was a lot less money to run rock crawling than it was to race and so some of the guys were just dropping off with with their 4600 cars not coming to dirt riot not coming to ultra four anymore and And so we were like, Hey, you still have your car. Let's, let's go do this. So we're on our way to Goldendale, Washington. And I want to say on the trip there and the trip back, I had done about a quarter million dollars in business. And so after that, the company was like, okay, so you're going to become a regional manager. You're going to teach people to do what you do. And, uh, if you're away or you're here, it doesn't matter. We know you like to see your customers. We know you're going to regularly see your customers. So, um, you know, you're, I, I have basically an open schedule for doing the four-wheel drive stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I, when I'm four-wheeling uh, in certain places, like we we just finished uh, We Rock yesterday. Right. Uh, Wednesday, we drive to Uray because our family puts on the Uray Jeep Jamboree for Jeep Jamboree. My sister and my brother-in-law, so Julie and Tori, um, they work for the corporate office with Jeep Chamboree. And then we have a few other things that we do um, for Jeep. We're going to be putting on some of the Jeep adventures um, for customers. I, I think it's more of a legacy customer that we're going to have. So they may be a little bit older and, and stuff like that, but good customers to, to the Jeep brand. Right. But uh, that's, that's some cool stuff. But we're going directly there this Wednesday. Um, I think we've got a couple weeks off. We go to trail hero a couple weeks off. We have the, uh, Moab Jeep Jamboree, and then we go right into, uh, one of the Jeep adventures. And I think our season pretty much ends there, but, uh, with the start of the, we rock season to, uh, basically the very last week of October, that's, that's our main season for doing what we do.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much what mine is. <laughs> our ours goes company, through the end of SEMA. You know, we because we oh, always yeah. go to SEMA. That's where we get to meet our partners and and make sure that they're happy and you know, hopefully introduce ourselves to potential new partners, that kind of thing. So,
1: right, right, excellent. So, as far as you know, growing up, I the best part of growing up here dad loved to explore. I mean, we were not home most weekends of the year. I mean, if it was not like, you know, too rough a weather to get out, like even in the snow, we'd be going places. And and we still do. If you watch videos on the four by four tricks, uh, YouTube channel and go to like the choke cherry, uh, Canyon, uh, playlist, you can, you can definitely see, uh, a video called There's No Fun Like Snow Fun. And we shoot these walls out here in the snow, and it is a blast. Because usually, even if you slide down a wall sideways, you don't roll. Unless you're Matt Anthony, I think when he was club president, he ended up uh, laying it over because he was on snow and just caught the smallest patch of uh, uh, melted off a slick rock. And uh, <laughs> it just popped his Jeep on the side, but he had come off a big wall sideways. But uh, it's it's really cool because we have such a great area and we're so close to so much uh, action. You know, the San Juan Mountains, uh, we're, we're 80 miles from Silverton, Colorado, 100 miles from Uray. We're 170 miles from Moab and uh, like Arch Canyon, Combs Ridge, Combs Wash, the campground down there. That's that's about an hour and 40 minutes from my door. Nice. So it's, those are places that we would go and and we would, dad was a history buff. So we would be looking at railroads, mines, mining towns, ancient ruins and petroglyphs and stuff like that. Um, He loved the Southwest. We would do California, Nevada, Arizona, you know, New Mexico, Utah, pieces of Texas, um Colorado a lot of Colorado and we just we just really had a good upbringing uh not only with the off-road lifestyle but also just just being outdoors and understanding what to look out for and what to do if something happens and so as as we joined the cliffhangers it, it couldn't have been any better because there was a bunch of kids like the jeep dealer here Steve Moy um, they were in the Jeep Club. They had kids my age. Uh, James Walden and Nancy Walden had kids my age. So I mean, between like uh, Lindsey Amex now, but Lindsey Malloy and uh, a few of the other kids that were, were running around with us, um, you know, we, we had this group of kids that were always together. And and we we still are really good friends. And my dad had the saying, see around like a donut. So if he if you you were leaving, he'd say to the kids, see around like a donut. Today, if you told any of those kids that, like Amy Peterson and Lindsay Amex and uh, Melissa Walden, if you told them that, you might bring a tear to their eye. Because there were certain things that dad did for the kids we would show up in silverton colorado to camp in south mineral creek and our whole club would show up but we would have a group that would show up thursday night and we usually did that and we'd wheel friday and then a group that show up uh saturday night that had to be late because of work or whatever and and then everybody would go home sunday well we do black bear and imogene on friday and then the next group that showed up wanted to do black bear and imogene saturday so That trail for our family got really just overrun. We'd like run it, you know, once, once a visit, you know, we'd be there eight weekends or nine weekends, you know, out of the season. And uh, you know, running Black Bear and Imogene all the time, yeah, it's great exposure, you know, crazy trail, but but for us, you know, you're running it all the time, it gets really boring. Right. And dad was the type of guy that if there was a road that he saw that he hadn't driven down. He had to do it, and when he passed away, I ended up with maps with thousands of archaeological sites marked, um, huge, huge maps that would cover your wall, um, and, and so that was – it was a cool thing because he, he would write about all the stuff that he was driving down and what he found and stuff like that. In fact, he used to write uh, funny poems and stories for four-wheel drive and sport utility. And uh, I want to try and find one and share it uh, soon to see if I can find some of his old stories and share them because they're still funny today. It's all about camping and four-wheeling and stuff like that. And the stuff that happens, right? So when we would do these Black Bear Imogene trips, the second day, dad would get all the kids together and maybe one more driver. And we would pile in the Jeeps and we would go a different direction. And we had a few areas that that dad always had these secret areas that we'd go to. And one of them was this this big, like, crack that somebody had scooped out looking for a vein, gold vein. And uh, in this crack, there's... A bunch of quartz crystal just sticking out like teeth and you can literally just pull the quartz out of the wall like teeth and they're nice big crystals and everything so us kids would all come back to camp with like bright orange pockets because of all the iron and everything <laughs> and the rocks up there and i mean we our pockets would be full we'd bring uh like sweaters with pouches just so we could carry more stuff and we we all would go home with stuff that Who knew where we were going to put all these crystals and stuff like that? So they a lot of them ended up in the yard, in the garden or wherever, you know, for each of the families. But uh, dad was always the person that wanted to do stuff with the kids. And that's kind of what what I do now. Like last night, I had two girls that have both been in rollovers and in four wheel drive vehicles. And uh, basically they weren't going to ride in a vehicle. They were going to walk each obstacle and then just ride in the washes and stuff. I grabbed both of them and put them in pinky and uh, we drove down a big wall and came up kind of a side climb and then did a nice big climb and I talked him through it and just we did it inch by inch and uh one of the girls came up to me this morning when I was checking up and grabbing trash for uh for we rock and taking it out um she thanked me because she felt a lot more comfortable in vehicles and she said i have to be honest i saw more rollovers yesterday than i've ever seen in my life because <laughs> she was at we rock she saw the <laughs> rollover there she was watching jewel jewel had her endo and then uh, uh bill rolled last night chad rolled last night so that was it was just a funny thing so that's that's something that uh you know that that i love to do too i I try to get all the kids together and and really do what dad did because uh you're not going to grow the sport without those kids and and they're they're very important to the sport for sure and we're seeing it in these four-wheel drive clubs a lot of these older guys are falling out and the younger guys don't want anything to do with the four-wheel drive clubs anymore and and in In my opinion, in the eighties and nineties, the four-wheel drive clubs were the backbone of four-wheel driving across the country. If something was gonna get done, uh, it took a pool of money of members to, to create a good account to be able to pay and handle some of the hours and logistics and the money. True. So that's you know, that's that's huge. And you know, so we we started going to Moab. Shortly after my sister was born, um, we joined the club before my sister was born. She was born in 1984. Um, shortly after she was born, we started going to Moab. And around 1986, we started gunning and leading trails there. And back then, there was probably about 15 families that really put the whole Easter Jeep Safari together. Right. And so we became one of those main families. And we had a group of families that was called The Family. And we would take a couple weeks every year and go somewhere. But going to Moab and, and putting it together, all of the kids of these 15 families, like you look at the McElhaney's uh, Doug and Karma, their son, Jeremy, he is a major part. He's been a past president multiple times and has done a lot for the club. And, uh, you know, we've got Ron and Linda Brewer, their their son, Eric Brewer, who passed away a while back, um, you know, they they were all people who were doing things for the club, pushing them in the right direction. And we do have a lot of the older members that uh, are still in office, still doing the stuff. If you get a registration at the Easter Jeep Safari, it's because of Ron and Linda Brewer. If you're at the vendor show, that's because of Doug and Karma. But Karma, she does so much work for the event it's ridiculous and knowing her very well as a family member and I say a, fam- a close friend close family member um, she does not sleep for two weeks before the event and does not sleep during the event like she goes to bed but she does she's a very restless person and uh, she's just worried about something going wrong and and growing up with that group, taught me a lot about what we do now if it, it if i didn't know ron and linda and doug and karma and some of the other people that put a lot of the the background stuff together i wouldn't know what i know to put together four corners four by four week and so now you've got i gosh I, maybe over 900 members associate members to uh to uh, the red rock four Wheelers. Um, i uh mom mom has stepped down from leading trails now my sister julie she she has some trails she leads and guns on and i have trails i i lead and gun on i think next year i'm on for escalator to hell on sunday i'll be tail gunning monday i'll be tailgunning gunning on hell's revenge wednesday here's an interesting story about this trail wednesday where uh i'm gonna mid-gun for my sister on tiptoe Through Hell. Friday I lead late start steel bender and then I am one of the big Saturday trail leaders I lead uh, Gold Bar Rim and Mom had passed that down to me and I think some of the club w- members were disappointed about it but I can tell you I have been picking up trash in uh in the Moab area since I was 5 years old and I have created some major trash piles to fill into <laughs> trucks and stuff like that so <laughs> they were very happy to give it to me and nobody was going to argue per the president from what I heard Good, But uh, so tiptoe through hell around 1991, if you were driving a vehicle without lockers, you couldn't do hell's revenge. You were not allowed to sign up for it per the BLM because of the rollovers on tip over challenge and rubble trouble. So what dad proposed to the BLM was he would take those two climbs out and call it a tiptoe version. The following year, they allowed him to do it and so from that year on uh we've had the tiptoe through hell trail and and a lot of people don't see it they need to mark the the little calendar that hell's revenge is being run that wednesday because they don't mark it that way they show it as running tiptoe through hell so we have a ton of vendors that'll get in front of us and and we've got sometimes 50 rigs and they'll just stop and they won't get out of our way so we have to go up and say look we have the permit for the trail Do we need to call the sheriff? Can you guys please just let us by? And they're all, we're in the middle of a photo shoot or whatever. It's gotten better over the years, but, uh, you know, because they don't show hell's revenge going, they give us a lot of grief uh, when we're leading the trail. And and sometimes cause uh, a little bit of off-trail driving uh, that I see out there as well. When some of the side-by-sides come through, they're doing a photo shoot. Those guys will just keep on buzzing along. They don't care. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not saying all side-by-sides, by the way. We're still, no, it's back, still back, that back to the one to five. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I enjoy every bit of what I do there. I work very hard for the Red Rock four-wheelers. I, I It was a, for about a decade, I helped put on the vendor show there. Um, what was unique, I guess, to the drivers of the trucks is I would show up. I would collect money, collect prizes, make sure everybody was doing okay, and for like advanced adapters or uh, some of the other companies, if they had something in their trailer, I would have the rover, I would have their keys, I knew their part number systems really well because of working it off again so i could go in and grab a transfer case off of the trailer to bring up to the counter or if it was a transfer case like the the red rock version of the atlas transfer case i would bring that stuff to uh you know the table or the the stage that they have up front where they put all the prizes and stuff but i had a great time with a lot of the vendors i i met a lot of manufacturers that i still know the people from those manufacturers today. Right. Um, I think I just saw Trent got a new job. He was with Daystar forever. And uh, I can't remember what the job was, but I always liked that guy. He just, you know, he always grabbed me aside and, you know, it'd be like giving me noogies. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, there's a lot of those guys, a lot of those manufacturers, like for instance, uh, Tom Allen with PSC. Right, he always saw how hard I worked out there and everything, and and uh, there were a few years where he would just, you know, one year I he knew I had the Cheeto, he knew I needed some stuff, so he just gave me a two hundred dollar gift card, and he's like, here, Colin, because I don't know how much you need to spend, but here's a couple hundred bucks, and uh, it covered every bit of what I needed, which was really cool, and and today, he's helping Jewel out. And nice. uh, I'm hoping that Randall continues because now that Randall's taken over, but he's he knows Jewel. And uh, I know Rachel doesn't work for the company, but uh, she's been doing a lot of the media stuff and for PSC. And so I'm I'm hoping they stick together. But they all of these guys saw really what we were doing and uh, just just neat people. Uh, and And, you know, I wasn't just that dorky kid that, uh, is just one of those guys at the Red Rock four-wheeler event, you know, uh, you know, trying to help everybody out. It was, it was, they really treated me like I was a family member, which was really cool.
0: Excellent. So let's talk about, let's talk about Jewel and the opportunity that's facing her now.
1: Yeah. So we've been, well, let's, uh, yeah, you can back up.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm going to back up to. So we've got Pinky Uh, 2018. I ran the Grand Nationals. With Tori, my brother in law and uh, Tori Cortez and myself, we we ran the Grand Nationals. Tori spotted for me. And if anybody wheeled with with Pinky back in the day, that thing, if it touched a pebble, it would lift a tire. (laughs) and it always just had a hard time wheeling uh you know some of the lines that uh that we would have at competition because even after competition when i first got it i would take it out and run all the lines and try to run the big big lines and stuff and and jewel did the same later on but uh, after that competition jewel asked her tio first meaning uncle she said Tio, can I, uh, can I do rock crawling competitively as a high school sport? And he knew exactly what she was asking. And he said, if you get straight A's and you do everything your mom wants before she asks, I'll be your fabricator. So uh, she knew what she needed ahead of time. She'd been watching the sport, studying the sport, and I didn't know. I didn't know that she was really that into it. So they both came to me and said, we, we want you to spot and jewel to drive and start competing, and she wants to do that for her high school sport. So sure enough, she's got straight A's. We're coming home. The whole house is clean. And so, yeah, we're, we're right into it. I think we put maybe maybe about 30 grand into our first year because we had a lot of work to do. We had to get the complete understanding underside of pinky and and get stuff going and then go to the first competition figure out what was wrong come back redo some of it uh, the first competition was crazy because jewel pulls on to her first course within the first gate and she's pulling up a rock and she's turned all passenger and i told her to straighten out and come forward well she just stepped blipped the gas pedal and flipped it up in the air and it went off of about a 10-foot edge. It lands on the ground and ends up on its lid. Well, when it ended up on its lid, it had broken uh, the engine cage on the driver's side. So we got it off the course. Pinky has a premier power welder in it, thanks to Pack Remillion. And uh, so we got the, the leads and the stick from another competitor because I didn't have my pack with me that i carry for the premier power welder and uh we had to re-weld the cage back together and get uh the area that held the shock tabs all just basically reworked and and welded back together so that we could actually hold up the driver's side of the vehicle and back then if you look at pinky it had these kind of weird wings that came out like uh, a little triangulated type wing to keep the body off of the rocks or really keep the fiberglass hood off of the rocks right well one of them was up and one of them was down so that was kind of funny and uh so jewel and tall jack who is also here this weekend for we rock jewel and tall jack would run over to tacoma and ask for oil and then we go to we're all done we got oil in it we're trying to start it we find a broken spark plug so back to tacoma and uh, get a spark plug and everything. So she ran. She got on. We, we got it all welded back together and fixed. And, and we were on course right in line with our breakdown time to, to basically go on to the next course. We didn't miss a course, which was really cool. And, and a lot of it was because of Tall Jack and Jason Kaminsky. They they really worked, worked it. Uh, as far as grinding, cutting, just getting it done while we ran around and found parts and then got it welded back together. Um, so she went through that day, the last course we're on like gate three and she's complaining, her arms are hurting, her legs are hurting. She couldn't figure out what's going on. And I'm just telling her, I'm like, look, you just have, you have two more gates and the finish gate, just come through that back through that gate and come on down. And she steers it through the gates off of the course and she just shuts it off and gets out. And uh I'm like, okay, take a break and I'll I'll jump in pinky. So I jumped in pinky. I could not steer the thing. (laughs) She had some kind of adrenaline going through her body to where she was steering that thing. I had to basically have somebody winch the front end of pinky around, get it moving, and I just kept forcing the steering, and I was only getting inches. So we we drug it down, we put it on the trailer, and Jewel said dad you know we don't need to go home tomorrow let's stay and and help judge because they're short judges and and uh her idea was if if we help judge we might be able to hear how drivers and spotters are talking to each other and uh she got a she got a really good view of the big picture there and i did too um so fast forward to last year we went to one east coast event and all of the west coast events and the sportsman b class that we're in um there's a lot of people that just have a a nice lighter weight tube chassis uh, summer pro mod style buggies and we're in a full frame full body um, and and you guys had created the class to to have this drag axle class because in the Sportsman it was mixed between rear steer and uh, the drag axle and so what we found is that the Sportsman B class became the biggest class. Yes, it did in in Sportsman. So it was really cool having uh you know this young girl, she's 15 years old at the time. And uh, she runs through the entire season, and we, Baghdad, we had 25 competitors, and uh, what was really cool is, I mean, she was close to the top, and she was hitting podium and, and stuff like that, so it was really neat to see that. Well, at the end of the year, we, we, got, we won the season, and this year, as a 16-year-old, she won the season again. So um, she's been wanting to run unlimited really bad. We left Cedar City Grand Nationals 2020, and we're going back to our condo in Bryan Head, and we stop at the gas station and get some drinks and stuff and some food. And uh, she gets back in the vehicle and just lets out this big sigh. And I, was, I, I asked her, I said, are you disappointed that you dropped from third to seventh? And and we had, we had a pretty decent rollover and, uh, and by the way, she handles rollovers really well. If, if, yes. you, if you get a chance to see her, she's, she gets out all grins and smiles. But anyways, I asked her about that and she says, no, dad, I want the shootout. And, uh, that just meant she wants to be an unlimited driver. She wants to do the top stuff. Uh, she did, she had made the point a few times during the year that when we're four wheeling here at home she'll shoot some of the big stuff uh you know that that we use for the unlimited stuff maybe not the exact same line but she's climbing those lines with pinky after we got it really settled out it pinky works really really well after tori and i put together the suspension system and we're about to now that now that pinky's retired We're going to uh, push the front out, roll the Ram up because right now the Ram is sitting right under the track bar and we tucked it up there as far as we could. But uh, we're going to do that and Pinky is going to be represented at uh, recreational events. So it's going to go back to that old off again look. We'll probably keep the PSC hood, but uh, it's going to go back to that, that old look. The unique thing that happened this year is George Zoros came to Jewel and asked her to drive for him. And what that meant was she was gonna have a prepped car, the motorhome, the trailer, and him showing up to every event with Trevor Rich from Colorado as her spotter.
0: Who knows the and, car inside and out.
1: Yes, who does know the the car very well. And that gives me the opportunity to put up some live videos and do some different things that we've never been able to do so that people can watch at home. Um, we had a lot of viewers. I mean, I think w- when she endowed, I think we had 60 or 70 people watching from home, live which is super that cool. Mode, yeah. 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 And uh, of course on site, you, you have thousands of people, which was cool too, uh, but not watching just her. I mean, obviously they're watching, You know, people like Jesse Haynes and Dave Wong and and Randall Davis and and people like that, which amazing drivers. One of the things that uh, George has pushed Jewel on is to watch those drivers. Some of them have in cab video, Cody Wagner and Randall used to put on these uh, trash talk Tuesday videos. And so she's been watching. And I want to say her watching Jesse Haynes and uh watching cody and randall work together is why she drove the car this weekend the way she did and and seat time obviously right um before this event you know she she had a couple weekends to drive the car it wasn't like full days because in the middle of summer here it gets over 100 degrees sometimes and you know so you you like this week in the morning (laughs) yeah yeah like this week you practice in the morning and you practice in the evening so um i am very proud of what she did this weekend we ran through the first day Uh, she was at the finish gate and timed out twice on saturday um had the endo on a2 so she was dropping down a rock and went kind of sideways but front end over she tried to save it she tried to drive it back onto the wheels and she almost had it um and then she ran a3 and had a couple saves and rollovers but she had a really smooth run we were pretty proud to see what kind of a run she did there and uh and then the car wouldn't run so we had two courses that we didn't get to do and we're still trying to figure out why the car won't run we're assuming that maybe something's going on with the computer like it might have a cracked board or it might be a, a, a bad fuse block we may have actually broken the fuse block in either the rollover or some a drop on a three, but uh, they're gonna, we're going to get it back up and running. I think we're going to carry an extra uh, fuse block assembly and also carry an extra computer. That way, if something happens, we're set there because we carry or George, I should say carries just about everything uh, for that vehicle. Excellent. Excellent. Well, yeah,
0: I want to say I really appreciate Everything that you've done for us, for We Rock, for Shelley and I, and for Forlow, and everybody that uh, ever wheels here in Farmington—you know the things that you've done out here and you've done with Red Rock. um, You know you're—you may not be one of the names that everybody knows in competitive rock crawling, but you. You, those that, that participate in those areas that you have been at certainly know who you are. And hopefully, uh, you get that recognition because uh, you have been a valuable asset to our lifestyle. And I want to say thank you for spending the time you have with us um, here on Conversations with Big Rich. And in maybe, uh, maybe in about five or six years, we'll get Jewel on here and we'll talk to her about, uh, how she's won her unlimited championship.
1: Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, I, I, it's my pleasure to do everything I can for not only, uh, we rock for low and conversations with big rich, but also just the four wheeling community. Um, I can't tell you the, the kind of work that I put into it. Um, you know, it's it's not necessarily rewarded monetarily, which is OK, because I'm putting the time into it and I've decided to do that. Right. But uh, it is rewarding in a way when you see so many people show up to an event that you work so hard for months and months and months on. And and you're always going to get those people that are going to tell you, hey, you should have done it this way or you 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 know, you could have done this.
0: Oh, all the experts and it been better. Yeah. The ones that have but, never uh, done it themselves.
1: Yeah, and, and <laughs> I mean, maybe they have, and they have some good ideas, and maybe they haven't. And and I will absolutely, from those people, consider those ideas. absolutely. And uh, I want to make sure that everybody that comes has a good time and that it's equal for everybody from the least common denominator to the big dogs. Because, like, for instance, when we do fall crawl, And and I'll, I'll stop with this. I drive the LJ to lead the lower groups. And that's what I did growing up with dad. Mom and dad would always take, even though they had a bigger built vehicle, they would always take something where they could show people that haven't been built up yet how to do what they're going to do and what they like, you know, or, or give them some enjoyment in, in what they came out to do. Right. And, uh, so I, I try to cover everybody with all of it and also try to be the guide, uh, you know, where our group doesn't always want to be, you know, if you get Matt and Isaac out, they want to take the drag axle group out or the rear steer group. So,
0: yep, I get it.
1: But thanks for, uh, Having me on, and I I really uh, do appreciate that you guys came back to Farmington and uh, that you continue to use these rocks because that's what they're here for.
0: Well, and we appreciate it, and we love this place, really do. So, Rick, say say hello to the rest of the family for us today. Um, Maybe we can get together as a group before we drive out of here and uh, head back to Texas. But, okay. but um, again, thank you.
1: Yeah, let's. Um, if you guys are available tomorrow night, give me a shout.
0: Okay, do that. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating. Share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram. And share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.